0: radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology.
1: Hello and welcome everybody. It's a Wednesday. Thank you for joining us. My name's Sam Sethi and yes, you're listening to Sam Talks Technology. My guest today is a wonderful friend of mine. I haven't seen him for an age. He's been away in Australia and you'll find out why shortly. It's Tony Fish. Tony, before I introduce you, let me give you a little background on him. Tony's been a mentor, investor, author, entrepreneur, and he's also so Basically, just a good egg um, we 're going to be talking uh, today about something very interesting that tony 's been researching and he 's going to be telling us more about corporate governance data now before you go, what the is that it 's really important it's we have data everywhere we we, we call data the new oil well tony doesn 't and he's going to explain why um, but in most other people 's worlds, we all know that we have data sloshing around all over the place, uh, but whose role and responsibility is it now in The years gone by, we had brands, and brands like Nike with the tick had value, but they were intangible assets on the bottom line. And then somebody realised that there was value. Well, we're going to find out a little bit more about Tony, a little bit more corporate governance data, and knowing Tony and I, we're going to be talking about lots, lots more. Tony,
0: welcome. How are you? Sam, I'm really well, and what a privilege and a pleasure to be here. And I'm delighted that bribery and corruption still (laughs) works. I love that intro. Yeah, lunch at Cooper's as Uh, well. What more can you
1: want? (laughs) Anyway, welcome back to the UK. Thank you. I think that's welcome back to the UK. Yeah, cheers. Pictures (laughs) last year of you and Nikki sat on the beach with your um,
0: Santa outfit. And a, get a can of forex because you have to do it on Christmas Day just to show it back to the family
1: brilliant well sadly Skegness Beach isn't going to be doing
0: the same this year for you oh, shame, shame shame that now, would have been lovely tell me a little bit about what is corporate governance what is corporate governance well, the corporate governance is, is something we kind of like nobody in the world really would worry too much about the reason nobody would worry about it, because it should just be there um, and when we read in the paper that something's gone wrong we go why is it gone wrong then that time that it gets unpacked and in the unpacking we go oh the 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 board of directors have done something which wasn't actually what they promised and so we don't see it very often um and what's starting to happen is it's becoming more important more complex um and changing and we're going to talk about what that change is. So it's the corporate governance of data because actually data for individuals has become critically important and companies aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing in looking after that that data in the way that they probably would look after their cash. And we've got to sort of improve some of the processes and thinking around it. Okay. um, So uh, let's start off with then how did
1: you come to this idea? What what have you been doing for the last year? You took a year out? What
0: happened? Yeah, it took a year out, um, ended up in Australia, and partly because of the two daughters. One was in uh, Queenstown in New Zealand, the other was in Brisbane, and it seemed a whole lot more sensible to be uh, that, that that side of the world. So we ended up there, um, and the choice was to read 52 books, a book a week, uh, around uh, cognitive processing, around consciousness, around some of the psychology, around artificial intelligence, around data, and it was just a, it was one of those absolutely joyous years where you just got a chance to read long form without the general interruption, um, and it is in that process of reading, talking to an awful lot of people um, when in Sydney, which was which is a brilliant market. Um, just the, it became more and more evident because I suppose I'd step back from removing the the day-to-day delivery. And when you get away from the day-to-day delivery, it just gives you that moment to breathe. And it was that that breathing which is, uh, has helped me. Okay. Now, Bill Gates famously posts
1: his list of books. Of the books you read last year, what was the book that grabbed you the most? Or books?
0: Yeah, it definitely would be books. Um, the first one is Antonio, Antonio Damasio's book, and it's called The Strange Order of Things. Okay, I read that one. Yeah, I... I it, he's a professor of uh, microbiology and one of the, you know one of these few brightest people on the planet and you read the book and you go how is somebody actually this bright? And he breaks down how the body works in chemistry and how basically uh, uh, the DNA forms proteins and how that works and how the gut digests things using the chemistry and how the body behaves in different mechanisms. But he's also the guy who um, has been exploring massively the blood-brain barrier, which okay. most people say you can't cross, and he's discovered the mechanisms that stuff goes across it, how literary compounds are reformed, and you you read the book, and it's it's just mind blowing that there's people on the planet who actually are really getting to the nubs of well, the people bio- have knowledge. Oh yeah, well, just, as opposed to fake news and, and oh, experts who don't know anything. Absolutely insane. So that was a really special book. Hard, hard reading. <laughs> Another fantastic book was The Mind is Flat uh, by uh, Professor Nick Charter, who's at Warwick University, spent 10 years uh, starting on a process thinking um, or being given, like so many of us, there's um, the subconscious mind. And so he went out to prove what is the subconscious mind, where does it exist, how does it come about, ends up at the end of the book going, the subconscious mind doesn't exist. And not only that, your idea that you have a backbone of morality or ethics in you actually is completely false as well. Okay. We make a lot of things up on the moment as opposed to having a structure. So that was a, a hard book to read for a different reason because it actually fundamentally challenges your beliefs. Um, another really good book, and I, unfortunately there was quite a few of them, uh, was uh, "The Future of Capitalism." Okay, um, and it is <coughs> uh, um, Professor Paul Collier at Cambridge University, mm-hmm. um, head of economics there. He He should have probably called the book The Future of Socialism, but it probably would have sold less copies. Um, But it was a policy book about how we take existing government as it is, and write policy, which is actually going to be more aligned to what the public need, as opposed to what people want to sell. And that was, again, a really good economics book, but actually came really practical at the end, saying, look, if you want an education policy, which is going to deliver, it should look like this. Um, Very good structure, because he'd actually done the research, as opposed to just, you know, randomly trying to make something up uh last two books that, that really i found very revolutionary um is uh, Tools and Weapons yeah. uh, by Brad Smith. He's the president of Microsoft. Yeah, read that recently. A, just such a good book. And I liked it because, you know, 10 years of Bill Gates and Bill Gates going through, I don't like regulation. I don't like this. This is a load of rubbish too. Oh, we we actually have a tool and a weapon. We've got to grow up. We've got to deal with regulators. We've got to deal with government. And Bill Gates is growing up and how honest that is. And Bill writes the forward to the book. Um, I liked it when uh, he goes, 10 dark years the the bomber <laughs> enterprise yeah and, and then straight back to Satya and it's like and what I liked about the last part of the book was uh, how uh, Satya's winning all these awards for being this great business leader yet the book implies that he's a servant leader he's not leading it from his ethics and his morality he's found the organisations what it wants to do, and he's making that happen. Yeah, he's a storyteller. Um, Steve Clayton, who's coming on the
1: show, who's oh. Satya's number two. Great guy. Uh, yeah, so he's going to be on the show in the new year. Uh, can't wait. Oh, yes. i um, he... oh, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, he's he's going to be doing storytelling. We had um, uh, one of... Uh, Paul Fabretti as well, who oh, yes. is the guy who is number who's responsible for Microsoft's communications and PR. He's been on the show. Uh, he's he runs the US communications. So they all talk about the new culture of Microsoft being about storytelling. because yeah. um, obviously, uh, you know, I was in Microsoft many, yeah. many, many years ago, and I was on the gates. Uh, leadership and tutelage, and and it was a very different organisation. And you can see how Microsoft today is much more open. You know, they're they're embracing Linux or Linux, yeah. however you want to say it. They're embracing open source. They bought GitHub. Yeah. They've yeah. done all sorts. And of... LinkedIn, and... yeah, yeah. So although I don't know if that was a good acquisition, but <laughs> um, and, and Skype being another one, I'm not sure about. But um, but they, they they tend to buy or they are now embracing more open standards. And I I, I envisage a world in which Office and windows will no
0: longer be products yeah it's strange to say yes and no but you can see it already coming through in some of their language and yeah just a fascinating book of um how an organization has had to grow up um and then the last book uh, reflects the same thing um uh, which is there's no one culture yeah and this is what you're seeing in microsoft there is no one culture there's no one purpose it's actually lots of teams but how does the organization make the sure that what it's producing actually is a tool, not a weapon. So that's a good book. The last book is Ben Horriott's book, as in Addison Horozit's A16Z. Um, Great book. Uh, his new one uh, oh his new one his Thanks. new one yes which is i am what uh, you are what you do right published four weeks ago oh no i haven't read that one yet it was his last one i read yes which is brilliant as well so oh it is brilliant and if you're is... an entrepreneur i highly recommend it yeah, yeah. Uh, totally utterly agree because it's so hard hitting and yeah. it's, 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 so it's the same exactly mm. the same voice in terms of um but this time it's all about culture and purpose So what you're starting to see is a number of the books and big writers are starting to say culture and purpose are actually fundamentally important. We've got them really, really wrong, but we've now got to get them right. Uh, So Ben's book is as a entrepreneur and founder, it's more than the idea and it's more than the team. What you do is effectively who you are. And if you... Um, you know, it's the old antage of the the preaching pieces that, you know, uh, do as I tell you, not do as I do. And this is very much turning on his head. And if you do what you do, you know, that is going to become your culture and what the implications of what you do are. So, yeah, very clever. I mean,
1: I I heard a a wonderful term recently. You know, we we talk about the customer experience. Mm. People are now beginning to talk about customer and community experience Yes, and talking about Fundamentally, your customer experience is one thing, but actually create a community around it uh, and engage them in a two-way conversation. And I think um, what we're seeing—you talked about it briefly—is is companies with purpose. And I think uh, Warren Buffett's talking a lot about that as well, saying that you know companies no longer—you know—we all know that Thomas Friedman's 1970s—it's about the shareholder value. It was the critical point where capitalism fundamentally took a the wrong turn yeah. Okay, um, and uh, since then till now even still and I'll be interested to know because you talked about the future of capitalism um, I think capitalism 1.0 is finished it's dead it's run its course uh, companies like John Lewis um, <laughs> Uh, let 's talk about uh, bourneville or, and companies of those data, yes. you know, they used to build houses for their workers, they used to reinvest a lot of their money back into the company or yep. the people. Salary disparity wasn 't there yep. um, and now we 're seeing this you know completely different model you know where we, we see shareholder value is the God, the gospel yeah and we 've seen disparity in workers' rights yep. in terms of salaries and um, other bonuses yeah and, and that's got to finish. So I'm scratching around. I have to be honest. Uh, you know, I've, I've interviewed a couple of people, like Dr. Alan Watkins, who's a smart, smart man. Mm. Um, about you know, he's got this thing called Crowdocracy, yep. his new book. Um, but also, I'm, I'm just scratching around. We need capitalism 2.0, which has a much more social. I don't mean socialist or Marxist leaning, but that's a yep. lot of what the, Paul Collier's writing yep. about in his book. Yeah, yes but but I think there has to be. Uh, if you look at Jeff Bezos and Amazon, they famously don't pay share dividends. He's reinvested everything back in the company. Now, he's not investing it back in so the workers benefit. Now, let's be clear on that. But I think there has to be a loop back now where shareholders actually don't get paid dividend. I think the value they get the increased value comes from the increase in the shares, not from a payment
0: bonus on top, which is what the dividend is. Yeah, so we got you, there's two very big things happening, um, and uh, BlackRock which is the larger, the hedge world's fund, largest yeah. hedge fund, uh, which is virtually in control of most of the world's organisations. So there's the top seven uh, with Fidelity and BlackRock. There are seven businesses which virtually control the whole of the capitalist world. Yeah. Um, and they are the pension holders and they're the funds of funds. Of the largest of those is Larry Fink with BlackRock. He writes an annual letter every year. And I'm looking forward to this year's letter. So 2017's letter to effectively his investors, but it's from his investors to the companies they invest into and the, paraphrasing it it says if you come to us with a business plan that shows three to five percent underlying growth over 10 years we'll double forget it we're not going to business because nobody's delivered it yeah so don't don't try and fool us again we're done uh, and you know good they've stuck to that and their businesses are starting to change uh, last year's letter was far more hard-hitting um Again to paraphrase it, it said, if you cannot demonstrate a purpose, it doesn't say what purpose is, as a business to us as in serious investors, we won't invest. And it, so it's not a judgment about the right or wrong purpose, but you've got to have a reason. You combine that then with the round table, which is just reported back. So the round t- the business round table, which is the US's one hundred and fifty largest um, CEOs. They're one-on-one interviews, so they're not made up, um, and they go around every year and they interview. And it's a uh, very, very well documented. Since 1978, Friedman's thing has been the top of the list. What's the purpose of business? Shareholder return. This year, sustainable ecosystem, which it has to be, uh, and it's just it, people are suddenly seeing oh you know i suppose uh, man gets excited when like venus mars jupiter um, earth the moon the sun all become in line and we go something exciting's happening when you got larry Frank, the world's largest organization you've got microsoft and ben horace you're all these people saying look we've got to get back to culture and purpose like you said sam it's it, capitalism's old model's broken yeah We've got to move forward, and most people are going, totally agree. And it's exciting
1: times. It is, and but the alternative models everyone keeps looking at is Marxism, socialism, and and that's not the way forward either. I think, and we will talk about it later, is the Chinese model that's coming. Oh, yes. In Silk Road 2.0, as it's called, and the way that they're managing what I'd call a communist state party, which is no longer really that, combined with a capitalist. Uh, ethos over the top of it um i think somebody once said recently that 2020 and beyond is now going to be the century of the far east yeah um you know and so we better understand what their economic models are because that's the economic model that's going to prevail and influence and dominate probably over us so
0: China's so interesting, so on so many levels. Um, It's when you hear the stats that they're graduating more PhDs in artificial intelligence every year, than the UK is in all undergraduates on all engineering disciplines. You'd sort of get the message that they get where data's going. We jump up and down about China and it's it's scoring and it's public and it's data and people go, oh, look at that, it's terrible. Yet we've got it in stealth. Yeah, we we don't yeah. declare it. So
1: let's let's step that back a second because you said a couple of things there. So um, before we get, on, yeah, <laughs> we will get to corporate governance. We I promise will. you. Um, but but what what you mentioned there is something called the Chinese Social Score, which yes. they're rolling out. So let tell me a little bit more what your perception is of the Chinese Social Score first.
0: Yeah, and and, and actually, um, there's several people worth reading on this or following if you're interested in it. One's called Dana Boyd, uh, Microsoft anthropologist. Love Dana Boyd. She is just she writes so beautifully and when she writes it it's so well researched it's just she's a delight absolutely you need to get her on the show um and then rachel botsman and rachel's written around the areas of trust for years um she's written and researched very very heavily on the 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 scoring system and i'm afraid I, i Agree, uh, much like people don't like this, but I agree with a lot of Rachel's uh, assessment. It's not it's bad. It's it, China has a very different culture. What they do is incredibly different. It's not right or wrong. It's not black and white. It's not this or sort whatever. Of, it's actually just their culture. And for them, it serves a purpose. But people seem to look at the credit scoring system and go, oh, it's terrible. But they also look at it as it's an end game. And the Chinese already know it's not the end game. It's the first iteration on a whole series of processes to improve society by using data. They've taken a very blunt stick and used it, knowing that it won't work, but actually it's the way to encourage a process of change. Um, have they got it right? They're first and willing to accept they haven't got it right. Do they know that it's got some flaws? absolutely. Do they know they're going to move to version two really quickly? Yes. So they're going to be at version four, five or six before us in the West have woken up. Or actually some of it's gone to our American counterparts of Google and Facebook and Apple. And we're looking at going, oh, so we got it by stealth. And they're now in the controlling seat of our identity and our credit and our score. And China are being very public. So what's better, being completely public and brutal, or? letting somebody come under the system. Well,
1: China can be very public and brutal because they can control it 100%. There's no dissident voice that will say that's wrong. Now... Uh, when I first heard about the Chinese social score, my, my initial Western heckles went up. Yeah, It was like, so. how dare you, you know, yeah. measure me? You know, do you remember that website, Clout?
0: Oh, yes. You know,
1: and your Twitter score made, made up, you know, your value. As it? It's dead, it's gone.
0: No, no, but the guy who founded it. Is
1: Azim Azhar. Yes.
0: yes. He's a great guy as well.
1: Yes, he is, yeah. He's got a really good... Um, a letter and podcast as yes. well. And he writes under the auspice of Harvard Business Review. Oh, he does? Yes. Who are his sponsors? Um, but that aside, um when I first heard of the Chinese Social School, I
0: sat there and went, how dare you? But then I sat back and read about it. Uh, do you remember what happened to Andrew, Andrew, who did Clout? Went to IBM as well. Because they know. were the competing things trying to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we've tried. Yeah, so um anyway,
1: the... It's when I sat back and I, I realised that we actually have, as you said, under stealth a social score in this country already. Yeah. It's called your financial score, yeah. right? Experian do it, and a couple of others, um, done Bradstreet. and Bradstreet, and GB Group. As yeah, and you, you you don't know what. Determines your social score. You can guess what determines it, um, but without it, you've got no credit, yeah. right? Or you have got loads of credit if you don't. So famously, Chris Evans, who'd never had a credit card, who was a multimillionaire, couldn't get credit. Thin right? file,
0: yeah. As so, the technical term goes, yeah.
1: So, um, so then I looked into the social score a little bit more and understood. Okay, there was it's experimental to begin with, so there was some good and bad elements to it. So the the, the <clears throat> good elements were in my humble opinion, some may say bad, um, you know, if you got a parking ticket or you were jaywalking, as the Americans call it, or you were doing any other sort of negative behaviour, then what they would do is they would... Um they would fundamentally put a negative score against you. But the the elements that were subjective that I wasn't convinced about, so whether it actually happened or they just experimented with, there was this idea of if you bought an Xbox, if you're a gamer, clearly that's a negative because you're wasting time, you're not productive. Whereas if you bought nappies, you clearly were a family person and therefore adding to the overall score of the country. Um, So... those two elements did worried me a little bit. But overall, um, I, I was in positive to it. And it, 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 the point when it hit home was when I went to see a Paul Weller concert in London. And I bought really nice tickets, front row, great views. Not front row, right yeah. up, but next block back. And I had great views. And as soon as Paul came on, all these people from the seats behind who hadn't paid as much came flooding to the front and stood in front of us. And I was like, oi. Off, and uh, you know, little little arguments ensued, and eventually the the you know the local bouncers moved him on, and I, I just thought to myself. That is antisocial behaviour. You know you've paid less than I have, but you think it's acceptable to come and stand in front of me, right, and therefore block my view, although I've paid more for that view. And it was at that point I realised, actually, I would like a social school because probably that person who's doing that doesn't give a damn about me or anybody else and probably is the sort of person who chucks litter out their car window, who probably does all the other negative things, and actually, if there was a social school, they wouldn't have got those tickets. <laughs> so I was, I was at that point going, "Yes, I want the social school." So slightly wrong reason for wanting it, but I, I, I do see the value in it.
0: But, but what you bring up, Sam, is is so perfectly, and, and it's, it's the thing that uh, we are all struggling with. And it's it's this piece, and it's a terrible word, but this immutability of data. Right. And explain that? Yeah, the immutability of data. So at the moment, if I say something to you, Sam, and we were uh, over at Coopers, nobody knows. No, now, uh, we're, we're on air yes. and what we did suddenly becomes recorded and actually becomes a podcast. And actually, if I put it on a uh, horrible uh, blockchain, reality is it becomes fixed. Yeah, immutable. I, yeah. It becomes immutable. And actually, you can't now deny the facts that you were somewhere and you've done something. And it's this immutability that becomes critical. So uh, once upon a time, you had a piece of cash, you went out, uh, you bought a coffee, Nobody knew you bought the coffee. Now with your bank card, not only I know where you spent, how often you spent, what time you spent, how everything about it spent. Actually, by your credit card, I can work out actually, oh, you then went to the train station. You then went there. Actually, I can best guess how you went from there to there because actually I look at the amount of time between the two things. I can best guess you drove. Um, Suddenly this data comes together, then I look at your location data and I add it to your bank card data so this social scoring piece suddenly I know everything about you. But you do anyway. Ah, oh, but the question that's coming along is, is that the society we want? So back to your point that um, once once people have got that ability, to go oh, excuse me you haven't done X, Y and Z yeah. actually Tony wouldn't be sitting here. And the reason Tony wouldn't be sitting here is is I'm severely dyslexic and if you ask my wife, I'm probably slightly autistic and somewhere on the Asperger scale as well. And the reality is what that means is me and school never got on. <laughs> so you know I'd- dyslexia spells I am sexy. Yeah. Does it? No. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you tell dyslexia to that they would draw it out. I- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spell it like that now.
1: <laughs> sorry, moving on. Oh,
0: yeah, I like this. I like this. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Persuade me. Um, oh, I'll never be able to spell dyslexic. It's one of those <laughs> words. Why, the, why, why give a word to dyslexic, dyslexic when you can't possibly the ever spell The hardest word ever. Anyway. <laughs> just, yes. Sorry, got an X I interrupted. In it. Um, yeah. So you're dyslexic. Yes. So I'm severely dyslexic. So me and school never got on. So I left school without any English qualification. So I have no English O level. Now, to get to university, you have, you have, to, have to have an have English it. O yeah. level. Yeah. So what did Fish do? He lied. I lied on my form. He said, okay. have you got an English level?" Yes. Tick. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, they found out on my first term. They went absolutely ballistic and they asked why I lied. And I said, because I wanted to do engineering. Anyway, they let me through. Okay. Which was very... okay. But here's the reality. If we have immutable data, I wouldn't have gone. And how much of society actually works on people knowing they can do things... And actually, it works out very well. Sometimes it doesn't, and I know that. But if we have immutable data, actually, how much of society are we going to prevent from actually achieving anything? And it's a really, yeah, we, we've got to unpack this stuff and what society we want if this data is going to be available. Okay, so um, let me take a step back through that
1: so i get i get look your isp knows everything you do practically your mobile phone operator knows everywhere you go what you do yes um in fact google this week launched a um uh what was it incognito mode for maps google maps so that people could well it doesn't work so i don't know why people are um saying anything so
0: um so long story short what i'd say is that But the incognito only stops the browser keeping it it doesn't stop google keeping it no exactly
1: but but I think, taking your example, the fact that you, you said you had and didn't, okay, it's the rule that has to change, not the data and the fact that you don't have it has to change, right? So if the fact was that, okay, if you don't have an O-level in English, it doesn't matter because you've still got other skills and we will still accept you, it's the rule that you had to come over that you could bend, but with an immutable data point, you couldn't have bent it. But yeah. but you could have, hopefully, as you did, convinced them that you were still a worthy candidate. Well, yeah, sort of bribery and corruption. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why we don't want immutable data. Yeah. Like, well, you see, but we are heading that way. Everything yeah. is heading that way. So facts, well, I know we live in a society where we talk about fake news and everything else, but actually facts are, are becoming much more... Uh, reliant. We are, you know, we need to find what is the truth and go, um, people are moving to data sources of truth, you know, the trusted sources like, so people does, will look yeah. at the FT and say, well, it's probably what they've written is true. Now, it might not always be accurate, but
0: They go with the purpose of writing the truth as opposed to Breitbart, which goes with the purpose of lying every time. So this is why – so some of the books I was reading last year were specifically around how the mind and consciousness work. And I suppose the interesting thing with – there is no truth. Okay. Yes, there is a fact of a piece of data, but that doesn't make it a truth. And – we ourselves, because of the way our minds work, we don't actually have a record of what happens. Actually, our chemistry recreates images of what happens. So, you don't have a direct memory, even. You have a made up memory, which is actually then mashed together with many other things to create what you then feel. Um, so, this idea of truth doesn't kind of like really exist in any concept. Um, so, we've got to get away from a fundamental that the truth exists. Yes, we can go back to certain data points and know that a data point is a a piece of data point which has provenance, i.e. it's an original piece. And then we can see the lineage of that data points from where it came to where we are. So the Times reporting, if it is reporting a fact, let's just mose because it was in the newspapers the other week that one of the large supermarkets has made a claim it's going to reduce its plastic use. Um, and it put that claim out, and that claim is now there, and it's public, Yep, there is a fact. Uh, there's now a n- pile of new facts, which is, actually, we can now see how much plastic they have used, and actually, there's a great big gap. So, you know, there's a piece of analysis that says they haven't actually met their promise. Now, is it that they're on the path, and they're improving, and, and this is these are the way that, you know, your interpretation of truth comes through, of what is the story you want to tell on behalf of the supermarket? Do you want to say they're failing or do you want to say they're improved? Right. And therein lies what are the people buying and what is the belief we want to have about the supermarket because of our perception or foregrounding of plastic use? You know, this this idea of immutable data actually does change. So you don't like the idea of immutable data? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, I've, I've... I suppose in the last few years, I've gone immutable data, immutable data, this is going to be brilliant. And fairly recently, um, I wrote a piece which said, uh, what is the type of memory we need for identity? And it's because of this mutability. We want to give people identity. So you can, and this is a um, identity about who you are. So it is your driving license, your passport, but it is also the access pass that you get into your work, into your um, uh, uh, cloud account, your email account, your personal, anything. It's, you know, this digital identity. And people want to give you one. Which is an immutable record of who you are. So you are who you are, you know who you are, and you can prove who you are. We have that within many ways. Our national insurance number, our healthcare number,
1: um, our driving
0: licence number, all separate. our passport number. they're all siloed at the moment. They, they are, but they are being joined up at the back now. Yeah, and the question is when they're all joined up, then any data leakage means that actually every piece of data that's leaked will always come back. So the more, the more we join it up, the more impossible it is that actually you will ever escape. And actually, therefore, a bad actor can now get hold of all that data set and reconstruct you. At the moment when it's in silos, actually, it's less of a problem. It's a problem, but it's less of a problem. The the impact of hurt and harm is more constrained.
1: Yeah, but I think think the benefit also of pulling it all together into one thing... So, for example, um, years ago, I went to do um, car insurance for my car, right? Yeah. And they hadn't got access... To the DVLA records, So they had a Staggering. wrong record of me
0: Yeah,
1: and I said, well, look, just go to the DVLA um, and why aren't you connected to the DVLA? Because yeah. you'll know that I didn't get the three points you're claiming I got, right? Yeah. Oh, well, our records tell us this. Well, the DVLA records tell me the other thing and that's what's actually accurate and what you're based on. We don't link. Now, when you no. go to the insurance companies, it's linked. they will tell you everything about if you've had a speeding ticket, a blah, 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 a points, no points, whatever. And I'm happy because I happen to be law-abiding and therefore I'm quite happy that my record is accurate. It's not immutable. No one's got it wrong. It's linked up to the silos that it should be linked up to. And hopefully the benefit of all of that is that (laughs) I get cheaper car insurance. It doesn't happen.
0: But um, Um, but I'm going to pick up on two ones. We'll come back to memory in a minute. Um, There's another book I read... um, very challenging book um uh and i'm trying to remember the lady's name amy something or other webb uh, no it wasn't amy webb oh, okay. it's um we i played this game I, I, I did try <laughs> name an amy AI. you know <laughs> i did read her book on ai which was yes. uh, yeah wasn't one of my favorites but anyway oh. uh, and i do like amy's books um no this book was called making evil Oof. and um it's a lady who finished her uh, phd in looking at what makes people evil and it's a very challenging book because it asks you to look at people who have gone to prison for the most heinous crimes and actually do you believe they should be uh, redemption should never be granted to them and it's a book which explores human psychology over time so it's not Right now, it's about a whole history of how we've made judgment about that class of people who have committed crime. Mm-hmm. And some of the interviews are really hard-hitting that uh, individuals who've got caught up in variety of different things through some through drugs, some through illness, some through mental illness, some through actually abuse have done awful things, okay? They, they, they're they not escaping the awfulness of what they've done, but they say, why does that have to live with us? And that's the first judgment. So there's a, there's a different course of law-abiding kind of like puts you into a different category and it's actually that's not part of society if we wanted a sustainable ecosystem we need everybody involved and this this issue of memory how much memory do we want society
1: to have so the right to be forgotten was what the european union had yes right and And is that a good or a bad thing
0: and I, i keep looking at um our dna so First of all, when, when uh, um, two, two people come together and they, they have a baby, um, half of the male and half of the female DNA is chucked away to create the new baby. So, actually, we've lost a shed load to create the new. So, there's no memory of the two parents actually in the, the child. Yeah. It's lost. When you're born, you don't know how to survive. You don't, know how to, you don't know anything. Okay, you've got no morals, nothing. So, you've got to be taught it. So, nature doesn't give us actually uh, everything we need to survive we need society society itself has stories and those stories are anything but uh, accurate yeah i mean religion
1: <laughs> I, I said it I, I didn't want to go down that road
0: yeah, but it's but you're right you know and they change and your interpretation um uh, Lily Cole, you should get her on the show as well. She's lovely, mm. and her history of art, and uh, when she, when she sits there and describes how art is used as a political piece to describe certain things at a certain time, it's it's incredible, and how they've used art and now music for us. It, it's a it's a political story in so many ways. Yet the memory is very transient. And it's it's not perfect, and it's not immutable. So, actually, what in nature has immutable memory? So, if nature doesn't need it, why do we need it? And that's, I suppose, the question I've come to myself. And that's, honestly, I'm struggling with it. I, I don't know. I wish I knew. Somebody somebody out there will know, and I would love to hear from them. Yeah, I, I, I get your nature
1: argument. I, I, I can see what you're trying to say, which is, you know, nature reinvents itself, it's evolving, it's an evolutionary thing. I also think, though, that there are things that are immutable that should... <laughs> my driving licence is my driving licence. I get three points, I get three points. I get a speeding fine, I have a speeding fine. Now, the right to be forgotten is is built into the system in the sense that the speeding fine is has a time
0: limit on yes. it. And at the end of that time limit, it's no longer on my licence. Which means it's not actually immutable. It, because immutable should be there forever right so yes you've already kind of like said it's not it, it is there for the right purposes at the right moment in time but that's just a set of rules yeah right so but if you get the rules wrong who's there so um you've got the surveillance economy book um Sh- 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 Shabora? yeah no? Yeah, I, I'll look her up, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not a great book. No, it's a really hard It's, it's a really, it's a, it's a badly written book. And actually, if it was published 10 years ago, it would have been genius. It probably took 10 years to publish. It, it took 10 years to publish, and now it's 10 years out of date, which is, but she has a great phrase in it, which I do really like, which is, who decides? Who decides who decides? Who pleases the police? Yeah. And it's the question kind of like, we as grown people, we've struggled with forever. Who, who gets to choose these stupid rules? Yeah, but the problem you've got...
1: Is that society needs rules, right? And without those rules, it would be anarchy. So we, we already know that we have a set of rules. Um, Edward de Bono said oh, um, in his book uh, Simplicity that actually laws should have. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to defend you now. Um, laws should have uh, a Not mutable. Me. Well, y- your point of view <laughs> should have a mutable time frame in the sense that we shouldn't have books on our statue that are written in the 16th century or 17th century or 18th century, pick your time frame, right? Yeah. That every one should have a 50-year or 100-year lifetime of a law, and at the end of that lifetime, the law should either be thrown out or it should be reviewed yes. and rewritten, right? So there should be a timeline
0: on all laws, but we don't do that. We, yeah. have a, we have a very different system. Wouldn't that be such a sensible approach? And also it means that, you know... Uh, In an odd way, you wouldn't go back to Donoghue and Stevenson as the first case with the snail in the lemonade bottle, which everybody's taught as your duty of care. And it's like, yeah, but actually that, you know, bring that to life today and don't use that as the case study to make law today. That's, yeah. Yeah. So
1: I I, I can see what you're saying, but I think my point of view is it doesn't change the underlying technology. The technology should be on something like a blockchain still where it is actually a record of... uh, trust and time that's not trust is the right word um
0: so yeah we'll get to trust yeah
1: (laughs) um but it's actually it's a it's a record um and it's non-reputable that's it yeah um and it's it's basically there and then afterwards there will be a set of rules that say ah but you can delete this now the question is can you delete it from a blockchain ledger because there's multiple owners of the ledger right yeah the answer is yes, or you just
0: overwrite it yeah um, but you, but you you raise um a point actually you, you pointed out right at the beginning um in in the introduction, which is you know uh, Tony has an opinion about data, and data is not oil, yeah, and it's exactly this point um because data. It has all of a series of characteristics, which is not like oil or sunshine or gold or labour or anything else we want as the analogy. And to me, this is one of the fundamentals. We should start to call data data. Because actually it's about, it's, it's almost like discovering a brand new element. And if you discover something brand new, you you name it, you call it, and, and it has new characteristics. But you hook it because it makes it easier for people to understand. So we've now got the hook, but now let's, now let's stop trying to say we're going to mine it, we're going to sell it, we can exploit it, we can own it, it has property rights and all, because... You, you're then taking the analogy one step too far and missing the very values that data has. Okay, and it's, explain that better. Um, so one of the aspects of uh, when, you, you, when you unpack data and you say, look, data actually is just data, you can't own it. And that's one of these fundamental ones which we're going through an argument um, that uh, part of marketing turns around and says to the individual, oh, look, you can have a, your data back, you own it, you control it. And that's an impossibility. And actually, it's, a, it's not something the user should actually be marketed that that is something that's possible. Um, okay, let me try and
1: unpack. Well, just understand that. So, my name is my name. That is my data. It's personal it's to me. It's not
0: your data. Well, whose it's, else is it? It's society's data. So, date, actually, it was given to you by your parents. Okay. And actually, the only reason it exists is because it's on a form somewhere. Yeah, okay. It's it's a label that I've been attached to. And actually, nobody actually owns it. Okay. And it's that idea that you can own something. Because if you could own it, you could do... You had certain properties, but you don't own okay, it. Okay, you and I have spent many, many years talking about the attention economy. Yes, we have. Right. And, and, and I've even And Pim. Tried- your, yes. Uh, you know, uh, no, it wasn't Pim, was it? Personal. No. P, or what was your one? Oh, all the way back. Well, a business I started. Yeah. Anyway, oh, we'll come back to it. We will. But
1: I spent many many years talking about the attention economy, yeah. right? And, and
0: right, and and fifteen years ahead of the market, Sam.
1: Yeah, and brave the, yep. the browser now, and 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 their BAT tokens and everything else. And and um, I still firmly believe that the attention economy will come about because. It's The 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 ad model is a failed model, right? It's the one thing left that we have. Yeah. We have a fixed time, 24 hours a day, and how much time we apply to anything is the attention that we give it. And that attention is basically has value. That has to have value, right? Because that's what everyone wants us. They want our attention from the time. Now... There isn't a mechanism, sorry I'm going slightly off nice. tangent, but but Libra, when it was coming out, Facebook's Ooh, Libra, yes. right, yeah. was in the hands of the wrong company, in my opinion. Facebook has lost trust, and again, we will talk about trust, but Facebook has lost trust with the consumer because of Cambridge Analytica yeah. and other things they've done, um, and it, Mark Zuckerberg can't say sorry for the 50th time and mean it, um, or try and mean it, so... Unfortunately, Libra was put in the hands of the wrong company. But the concept of Libra, which was a micro currency yep. that we could use as a transaction, was the right thing, and it needs to happen because when I go on to something like Medium, or I go on, which is a blog site, for those who don't know, um, you know, you you write a nice post. Yep what can i give you a cl- one clap maybe two claps yeah. it has no real intrinsic value uh, yeah um you know, medium might pay you as a writer there's a couple of paid writers on there so the more claps you get the more you get paid but fundamentally you you're writing for free yeah. and medium's making money elsewhere from subscriptions basically not yeah. ads now what I want to do, though, is go, wow, that was a great comment. Instead of giving you a like or giving you a heart or giving you a yeah, thumbs microphone. up, I, I'll give you whatever the... I don't even know what a one Libra cent would be, if it's a cent yeah. or I don't know, but I would give you one or ten or a hundred, right? And that would be the way that would make the attention economy. I've paid attention to what you've said. And enjoyed it. And enjoyed it. And found value given it. you... Yeah. value back, right? Uh, and equally, I can measure my attention and, and sell that to somebody else. So, oh, what have these people been reading? What's the thing to read or listen to or watch or yeah. or whatever you've paid attention to? And that, I believe, that's why I go back to data has value now. Yeah. But that's my attention, so why don't I own my attention?
0: Um, you've given me an attention for, for an hour. Yeah. Where's the payment? And actually, is that... Why is... It, there's a whole series of questions that what's happened to that piece of data? Now, the data that we've just created in in this actually is shared with y- your viewers. And actually, they either have interpreted that as some value because they've taken away a nugget which makes them think. And if they think, do you know what? For me, that's personal value. Yeah. Um, however, the company itself will depend on a different approach to what the value of the data is and will try to define to their method of... So, but there's, the attention's gone. And actually the data itself now is spread. So anybody can get access to the data and actually anybody can do anything with it. And neither of us own it. In fact, nobody owns it. This is the whole premise that, you know, this idea that you can own data, control data, you can't. And this ability that data can be copied with zero cost and no loss is, is utterly unique in our planet. It's, it's. Nothing else has that capability. And this is what I talk about, the characteristics of certain parts of data which come through. But we should come back to trust as well because it's okay. one that is a fundamental.
1: Well, I mean, okay, let's just finish this whole... So we started off talking about mutable data. We were talking about the Chinese social score. We talked about how, well, we didn't really get onto it, how that will come to the, the West, whether we like it or not. Uh, and we talked about the value of it now you, you were going to say something which you didn't quite finish which was data isn't oil yes now you started off by saying that um we shouldn't label it in the same way it's new uh, and it has a different value set um so but why don't but but for me okay yeah you know the layman here um I mean, a corporate company, that sounds about right. You know, oil's a commodity, data's a commodity, both have value. Um, it goes on to the books, so data is the new oil.
0: Doesn't sound like a wrong sentence to me. Yeah. um, And uh, at a very simplistic level. uh, uh, (laughs) That's my level. (laughs) The veneer and the veneer is quite wonderful because actually you can get away blind murder. Um, uh, Let's uh, let's use just a slightly different uh, piece, which is more touchable in terms of most people's lives. Let's use money. okay, and then consider the future of money. So we know the characteristics of money itself and cash. And it's not worth going over because that's been written up forever and dead easy to Google and find out the attributes of money. What's interesting is digital money and when it comes along. And digital money has, part of it is this immutability because it can be tracked and traced. So new money, and particularly digital money, has three characteristics that old money didn't have. And these are three of the characteristics which explore the level of depth below that veneer. The first one's accountability and responsibility. The second one's humanity. And the third one's programmability. So um, the first one is accountability and responsibility. So because I know... And this is some of the stuff we've already chatted about, Sam, and you, you, mm-hmm. you've expressed some of that, that, that piece with the, the Pawella concert. Because the data is there you can't escape your accountability and responsibility for it. So is I, as a corporate, say, I will no longer put, support child slavery in any of my companies, yet somebody comes along and says, well, look, there's one of your companies and it, you can't escape. So you, you are far more accountable, which is why this corporate governance piece comes in. Once upon a time, we could just escape it. And actually people have for a very long period of time, which is a frustration to the public, which is people promise, don't deliver. That, is coming to a very rapid end. And I think we're going to see it across schooling, education, in, in politics after. Uh, we're going to see a number of industry, you know, kind of like really important sectors go, you cannot just promise something and then just basically lie. Yeah, I'm only going to say one thing. MPs
1: do, and they do it all the time. But that's my last comment. As we're in a political, off-com, no-politics lockdown, that's my only comment. High five.
0: (laughs) Um, So there is a bit of change that's coming along because of... Transparency is what you're saying. And transparency, but there's an accountability that comes with it. So once upon a time you could delegate some of the authority, you can't. So directors are not... Give me an example. So health and safety in 1970 came along and said, uh, here's a bunch of rules, here's a bunch of standards, do them. All the directors basically ignored them. Then what happened is it became criminal offence that if, a di- if basically somebody died on your watch, director, it's a criminal. You, you go to prison if you're proved guilty of basically breaching health and safety. We're starting to see that come through in laws and Australia has led the way after the tragic um, New Zealand um, shootings. Where abhorrent material, if it is not taken down quickly, basically any social network now, the directors of that social network, it's a criminal offence. And we're starting to see a number of regulators look at this very differently and go, yeah, if we want people to do privacy properly, we're going to have to make this a... So this accountability and responsibility of data becomes really real. What that also means, though, is if I know something about Sam or Sam knows something about Tony and... Uh, I look at the data set and I look at your location, I see you're going to the chemist every day, I see this, and I I realise that you have a medical condition, I now a duty of care to you. Once upon a time we never had the data, I never had the analysis, now you can't escape it. So we've got to put humanity back in to our decision-making at boards because actually we know more about our customers than ever. So you've got the accountability, responsibility, more humanity. And the last one is this programmability of data which is I can give somebody some money and say you only use it on rent. And actually under programmability, the only thing they can use it for is rent or food or clothing or something. So suddenly we're in a different world because of data. And the question I think humans have got and humanity and society's got, is that the, is that the society we wanted? And I don't think we've gone through that thought process. We want the best bits... But I don't think we're, and this is where we look at the Chinese model and go, oh, and it's like, actually, you, you can't have just those bits and not the rest of it. Yeah, th- this goes back
1: to, you know, the immutability that you talked about, right? I mean, there's a, there's a company called the Plastic Bank, Dog, mm. right? And they, they set out to help the poor and the homeless by allowing them to collect plastic. Yeah. Donate the plastic into the plastic bank and yeah. get credits. But the credits are programmable in the sense that they can only be spent in certain places yeah. at certain companies. So yeah. Marks and Spencer being one, for example. Now that's a great scheme. I don't see anything negative in that. And that's a traceability. It stopped them in the past. They'd get cash. And the first thing they do is buy alcohol yeah. or drugs with yeah. it, right? And that's not what you wanted them to do. So in behavioural marketing terms, wonderful. You've found a way to get the behaviour to, to go and collect the stuff. At the same point, you're providing a mechanism that ensures that being homeless potentially, which is the main people yeah. who use it, um, are not going back into bad habits. So, great. So I don't see the negativity. There was one negative example that I did find recently, um, People are now giving less to the homeless on the street Massively. because they haven 't got cash cash, yeah right, so I did actually see in india there 's a classic picture of a guy knocking on the window of a car in a traffic jam and and then getting out a visa swipe thing yeah. machine you know, because that 's all he had right um but but seriously that yeah. that that part of it is the negative, but the positive part of it is it removes much of the black market, it removes much of the uh Issue. So, for example, the European Union removed the fifty euro note yes. from circulation. Why? Because that for was all. an easier way to bundle up money because it was less yeah, thick, numbers, and they could just, you know, for for whatever mechanism you wanted to use cash for, right? Yeah. And governments, rightly or wrongly, want to get rid of cash as a
0: means of payment, and it is happening slowly. Yeah, and 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 we're going to bump into this issue, which kind of like crops up all over the place, which is this issue of what is trust, and in whom do we trust? And written well, we're going to talk
1: about that after the news going up in four minutes. But the the, the issue of cash. So, is your argument that that we should retain cash as a a mechanism of payment, or that? We can get rid of it and it
0: will be gone at some point in the future. Actually, I have, uh, and I know this sounds bizarre for me, <laughs> uh, I have no opinion and the reason is... I'm not sure my opinion counts, but I think a society. Don't do no, no. a Corbin on us. Oh, okay. No, I think <laughs> I think actually a society, we need to debate it. And what type of society do we want? Because they're very different. A cashless society actually means everything is now trackable and traceable. Yeah. A cashed society has certain ills, but actually it allows people more freedom. So it, there is an.
1: Ex- freedom to. I don't see the freedom that I'm gaining. And freedom to do the negative things that I can't... Oh. that I want to do on this radar. Paying the builder without paying the VAT. Paying yeah, but- paying the window cleaner without having to pay whatever. Yeah. Those things, I, that's... Is that the negative or is that this, the freedom that you talk about? I'm trying to understand what you
0: define yeah. as freedom. Uh, so some people make personal choices and yeah. they, they haven't declared those personal choices to the wider society. And therefore... Um, if, if the data is there, they, they, they can't escape it, um, at some of their personal choices. And if you remove that mechanism, suddenly you're telling them, actually, you, you've either got to tell society that's what you're doing or not. And it's... And that's, therefore, about personal choice. But then we go back to the other end of the cashless yes.
1: payment, which is cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And you then look at Nick Bilton's book, you know, Silk Road. Yep. Right, and they created this thing called the Tumbler, yeah. which is where you put your Bitcoins in, it tumbles around. No one knows who put it in. No one, therefore, gets the same one back. Yes. And, therefore, the
0: transaction was totally, you know, um, anonymised. Anonymised. Yeah. O- other than it's not quite anonymised. Actually, it could come back to you that somebody else has spent your... Yeah, yeah previous Bitcoin on something. So there
1: is, is, I, there is an ability within, in the payment mechanism to go to a totally anonymized system. If, a non, if cash, as in coin and note, provides
0: anonymity, which is what I think you're saying, Yes, um, and the, there, because, is a, there is yeah. a digital equivalent. Yeah, and, and the point that a lot of people are coming to is that in the network, we have intermediaries. And the intermediaries at the moment are store and forward, and particularly in banking and payment. And should we put memory... Into the intermediaries, which actually will prevent that from happening. And that's kind of like right up to date on what's going to happen in the banking sector as well with data. So should basically intermediate. And reality is we depend on intermediaries having memory in every other part of society because it's the value add um so we again these are these are the things i think we need much bigger social almost town hall discussions on because we're not having them and it's not right and wrong this actually we just haven't debated it which is we're running into something we haven't thought about it's unintended consequences okay When we come back, we're going to the
1: news. When we come back, we're going to talk about trust, which we've been skirting around. And we might actually get to the topic of today's subject, which is corporate governance and data, um, which is what you went away to Australia to come up back with. But um, I hope you've enjoyed the first part. I mean, we've been talking about lots and lots of interesting things. Um, Yeah you're joined today in case you're wondering it's my guest tony fish the author of a brilliant book as well about called my digital footprint which we will also try and shoo into the second half of the show until then we're going over to the boys at sky or girls you never know and see what's going on speak to you soon on fm online and mobile
0: this is marlow fm 97.5 Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology.
1: There we go. A little bit of More Than a Woman, the Bee Gees. Uh, that song was for you, Tony. Um, I'll let you just put that back down. Lovely. Um, so,
0: that song. Yes. Who is it for? That's for my wife, Nikki, and uh, it's one we have a great old laugh at, and she is definitely more than a woman. As I was just saying to Sam, I really should look up what the words actually say yeah, <laughs> to just... understand it's the right version.
1: Yeah, make sure it's nothing to do with Kim Kardashian's <laughs> husband or father, or whatever yeah. you call more than a woman. Hmm, I've got yeah. extra bits. Uh,
0: yeah, just... <laughs> You suddenly have this realisation, hmm, have I just done something which is really stupid?
1: Yes, what's his name, her name? Kendall Jenner, no. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: More than a woman. Anyway, uh, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to uh, Sam Sethi here on Marlow FM with my great friend, Tony Fish. We've been talking about everything but what we should have been talking about. But we've been talking about immutable data, the value of cash, the Chinese social score. I guess what we've been talking about is what, future society looks like because we again capitalism 2.0 politics 2.0 i think we're in the change period you know just like the 1900s when we had i think you know the great depression of the 1920s that led to the pension that led to the rise in um you know the change from agricultural to industrial was going through that period i think what we're seeing here in the 21st century is um we are looking at the, the the 20th century models and we're going, mm, they're not really that good anymore. And society's moved on. But we haven't found the 21st century models. Um, they're evolving. I mean, uh, you know, from a technology point of view, I could say Web 3.0 is appearing, maybe not as obviously as people would think. But, for example... Uh, I was interviewing um, Waleed, a friend of mine, who's a blockchain expert. And he was talking about, you know, corporate blockchains, so not fundamentally private blockchains, not public ones. So things where companies are collaborating through blockchain technology building out trust between each other making up new data connections etc etc we're seeing AI appearing in more things like farming and agriculture or into areas that aren't the obvious consumer based areas so you know that stuff is appearing it's just not appearing in the iPhone or (laughs) or on Netflix you know as obviously as people would see it so I do think that's happening and I think Post this economic or political period that we're going through here in the UK, which is the word I can't mention, um, I think we will see a sea change of, or again, I think people will look at it and go, "I've had enough." Yeah, and maybe that's what it is. You know, I think you talked about it earlier. You know, the corporate governance part. So, for example, Milton Friedman, we said in the 1970s, and now you're talking about the fact that sustainability is one of the key strands that corporate companies should start to look at. And that's because I think people have had enough. You know, we want to know where our food comes from, where our clothes come from. We want to know, you know, uh, how things are made and are they against the values that we individually set ourselves. I think, you know, we just heard on the news, Greta Thunberg's just Mm -hmm. been made, you know, Time person of the year, which, you know... Looking back on the year, that's probably the right thing. And her message is the right thing, whether it resonates through, you know, to somebody like Trump, who clearly, you know, has come out of the Paris Accord. Um, But I think the world is slowly beginning to wake up, maybe a little bit too late to green issues, to the polar ice caps melting, to the CO2 levels that are increasing. And it's evidence, it's it's fact. I mean, yeah. I guess until Norfolk falls off, the, you know, the map, you know, because, you know, <laughs> sea levels rise or the Isle of Wight disappears, mm. maybe, I don't know how far we have to go before there's a realisation. You talked about a supermarket talking about plastics, you know, but was that, as it said on the news, was that you know, just uh, accounting Uh, papering over, or a corporate message that people, you want to believe that they're going to be good. You know, Iceland talked about it. Um, I haven't checked up on whether Iceland, for example, has got rid of all of its plastics yet, Mm. or has got rid of certain carcinogenics in bacon, which we all love. You know, so, but no one ever follows up on these things. That's the problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, that was a bit of a ramble from moi. It's not a ramble, though, because it's actually it did so spot on. In in terms of these are, um, the, these are ones we kind of like when we're, we're very simple children, and even as parents, we give our children very simple choices. Would you like that sweet or that sweet? Do you want that bag of crisps or that bag of crisps? Um, would you want one sausage or two sausage? Do you want three bits of broccoli or none? Well, some some decisions are easy, some decisions are hard. But um, <laughs> I've gone with none so. <laughs> but but we teach um, our children. Um, how to make choices. And as we get further into life, we realise that choices aren't quite as easy yeah. and you move from choices to decisions. Then you realise decisions actually you have judgment, which is, you know, compl- it's complex because actually there are no facts. You're, you're not picking a right and wrong. You're kind of like picking it what's best for the outcome I can determine. Yeah. And so many of these issues that you just mentioned are actually complex judgment. There is no right and wrong, um, and people get very obsessed by there is only one answer, and it's like, actually, we've got to deal with all society, and where my clothes come from is a first-world problem. Yes, And if I now choose that my clothes are going to come from certain things, actually, do you know what? There's certain children who are going to go hungry. So, yes, I don't want child slavery, but actually, in choosing that, actually, parts of economies economy then fail because they no longer have the money. And it's these, um, we're starting to see it with palm oil, particularly that people have got obsessed with palm oil, yet the countries who have got the palm trees, who have cut down and the Amazons won, are out going, actually, our economies now depend on it. So if you stop buying it, do you know what? Our economy starts to, everything is, it's suddenly interwoven, that, that simple decision. has, And that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying to me, Sam, which is, oh, wouldn't it be nice if it was easy again? Yeah, maybe. I don't think it's easy. Again, I think it's
1: just uh, somebody, somebody talked about reframing, right? Mm, nice. You know, and that, that was Ben Hammersley, the futurologist. Um, and I think that's what we have to do. We just have to
0: learn to reframe our positions. You know, the... <laughs> is it reframing or foregrounding? And what I mean by that is reframing says I've got to move, yeah. where foregrounding says, actually, it's already there. I've just got to bring it to the front, so it becomes front and centre as opposed to off um, to the left and side?
1: I, I, I can't tell you the answer to that. I, I think both possibly depending on the context of
0: what you use them
1: in. But, for example, with Ben, when he talks about reframing, it's like, well, you know, up until now, Palmore was great, yeah. and now it's not great. So my reframing is that world was okay, and now it's not okay. Now, in that world that I'm in, the reframed world, what are the consequences and, and actions that have to be carried out? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think what we're seeing is, you know, um, it, there's a bigger picture for me, which is... Um, We've lost the vision, right? Somebody came up with this beautiful idea that our generation, right, um, well, whatever we
0: are, what are we? Are we the baby baby boomers? Uh, No, the baby boomers are just above us. We're we're Gen X. Okay, well, uh, pre Um, what? But the question is... uh, uh, no, 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 is the word vision or is the word leadership... Oh both. Oh, we've okay. lost both. Yeah. You no, know, in terms
1: of the vision, what I meant by that is um, our vision as a child was that you would get a job, you would uh, buy a house, you would pay off the house, and at the end of the pay of the house, you get a pension. Yeah, you'd retire, and then in between that, you'd have oh. some kids and whatever. Right, I've got to tell you my story then. Yeah. And, and so I'm just saying that was the vision. Yeah. But my. Kids and your kids, right? We've got teenage kids about the same age. Um, that isn't their vision. My, no. my daughter doesn't envisage owning a house until I die, probably. Yeah. Doesn't envisage um, having a job for life. Doesn't envisage owning a car. Doesn't yeah. envisage... All of those things are not her vision. Yeah. And I don't think she has a vision. That's the problem. Her generation, not just her, don't have a vision for the future. It's our vision that we're trying to superimpose on them, And it doesn't fit. And that's the problem that we're we're seeing. We're seeing this juxtaposed youth, saying, well, I want my vision of the future to be green, yeah. sustainable, yeah. Uh, eco-friendly, da-da-da, and yet, in France, the jolly uh, what was they, the um, the yellow jackets, yeah, uh, yeah. right? That all came about because Macron said, right, actually, you know what, France, we've got to cut down on our carbon footprint, we've got to reduce, so increase the price of petrol and the price of gas. They all go on strike. It's okay for the rest of the world to go on strike, and uh, sorry, yeah, to pay more, but we're not, we're French, we yeah. don't pay anymore end of story that's it so it, it, it hasn't hit home it hasn't hurt us enough we yeah. are as a generation our generation and our parents generation have failed the, the generation below we've burnt the planet yeah and we haven't given them an option or a vision and to your point leadership now i think there is leadership coming yes i think uh today the youngest ever prime minister for a country was elected in finland yes um and i think um uh, yeah, she was today. It, was, it was Finland. Yeah. Yes, it was. And uh, I was just looking at myself, going, hmm. "Yeah, someone will correct me if I've got it wrong." <laughs> yeah. Now I'm pretty sure. And also, um, I look at someone like New Zealand's. Yes, oh, Prime she's minister. fantastic, she's I And I, I, you know, um, and I think uh, in Canada he was he he's got some good yep. thoughts and ideas. So there are leaders coming around. Macron still has done a I, decent enough job. Yep. Merkel, I just think. Uh, we, as in the yes. West, have got also bad leaders, Mr. Trump and Mr. Boris himself, um, and I'll, I won't say any more than that. Um, so, vision, leadership are missing. I think the, the models of the economy and politics are missing. Yep. Right. How can we sort that out from a company's perspective? Because it also comes down to, is the future a no-nation state?
0: Yeah, uh, Sorry, that's a no, massive... No, no, no it, it, uh, but they, they're so spot on, and these are the complex judgments. And I, where I'm coming from, very, very, very specifically, is if I go back to these characteristics, accountability, responsibility, humanity, and programmability, as new things which are coming through because of data, I kind of really like them, and I like what Greta says. And she says, look, people are making promises, but we don't hold them to account. Yeah, You've you said exactly the same, and... Kind of like I think society is saying that, that you make a promise, I want to hold you to account. Now, I personally probably can't be particularly worried that I'm going to hold you to, but I want a body, a part of society, somebody to hold you to account. You've made that claim. Follow the claim all the way through because people do do it and they, they actually add huge value to society by doing it. Therefore, let's find ways that we can encourage people to spend this whole new genre of jobs realistically holding people to account for the promises they make using the data that actually comes through and people look at it and go oh when the steam engine came across you know everyone would be out of jobs and computer and we have all of these um technology evolutions and nobody can see the job and it's some of the ones we can start to see that suddenly this beautiful part of data is actually the all the new jobs are actually society jobs and uh, we you know that the terrible piece in the news of the, the 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 people killing somebody for um their their pension how dreadful but when we've got people in the society who are tracking the pieces we will work these things out a lot quicker they, they won't prevent stuff and i'd love to think it will prevent stuff but we can start to unwrap some of society's ills and it, I, i've got to say the piece that Because at all that piece, the kids are very different. And it's this issue I have with the gig economy. And I don't say it's an issue. Actually... I like the gig economy because the kids want a very different vision. And my grandparent, the father had one industry. My dad had one job. Um, Our generation probably had four or five jobs. The next generation are going to have seven. Our kids will have three jobs at the same time. Our (coughs) grandchildren will have seven jobs at the same time. But they may only work a four-day week. Probably working a four-day week, but they will actually use their (coughs) skills. Yeah. And there's a whole different piece of thinking. Well, it's Charles Handy's portfolio career. Well we're there and it's like it's not that we've lacked people with the vision but we're now seeing society go actually yes we can do it now finance to go back to one of these issues finance society's <coughs> got to grow up experience says oh if you've got a job you must be able to lend money so banking's got to turn around and say do you know what um that model's broken your point earlier the rules Who set those rules and how is society going to challenge the rules to say, actually, they don't serve society? And the only way I can see it is people decide, do you know what? I am not going to bank with the big banks. I'm going to go and bank with the new banks because the new banks aren't taking the same Credit scoring—they're well, going to go differently. My bank's Revolut. yay and uh, a lot of people I know have, like uh, to Starling the, Bank or whatever on, on Monzo, Monzo, and you know
1: I sit on the board of Vault Bank, and yeah. it's like, yeah, we're going a completely different path. Yeah. It just offers me more things. I mean, the Apple Pay card yep. strange because the Americans don't have any challenger banks, right? Yeah. So Apple is the challenger card. There is there is one coming along. Okay. Top secret. You can't say anything. Please don't. <laughs> please don't say anything you can't say. I've, I've had one person come on the show who said to me, I've now had to pull the podcast. Oh, I
0: won't say it then. Oh, this is very anyway, exciting. Um, right. Trust. Uh, trust. Yes. Two, two minutes on trust. Yes. Um, there, there, I think there's a fascinating thing about trust, which is um, the difference between functional trust and emotional trust. Okay. Functional trust is, uh, Sam very kindly picked me up, uh, and he came along and I trusted when Sam put his foot on the brake, the car will stop. I've just made Sam a cup of tea, which is why I was a bit late. Sam actually is trusting, I functionally, because he's now drinking it, he's not going to kill him. Yes. <laughs> I haven't put a little bit of extra in there, which is going to... Uh, every time the aircraft takes off, you functionally trust the aircraft will take off and land. Yep. Society depends on standards. And those standards mean that when you go to the bank tiller and you... You tap your card on, it works. When you phone that phone number, it gets to the right person. So we have standards and rules and regulations, which means society functions. Our trust in that is 100%. Because if you didn't, you kind of like don't operate. So if you don't trust the functional piece of society—it's very difficult to function in society. Yeah, uh, down to you know when the traffic lights change from red uh, from green to red, you kind of like trust the cars will stop and part of the site, so you walk cross road. So that's easy to understand. No functional trust, actually, no society. Functional trust is pretty high. Yeah, the issue is emotional trust. Do I believe the company has my best interest at heart? Do I believe the pharmaceutical company actually is selling me the right drug? Probably not. Do I believe the school is giving me the best? No. Do I believe the church, whatever, is... No. Do I believe um, the government? No. Do I believe um, they're giving, selling me the best playing service? Uh, whatever. No. So our emotional trust has complete—it's zero. So when we ask the question, do people trust? It gets confused between this functional trust and emotional trust. So, functionally, I 100% trust my bank. They will take the right amount of money from my account every time I use it. Do I believe the bank is offering me the best service? No. So, I have this juxtaposition. We have the same in society. And the question is with trust is um, where is confidence and credibility. And we take this time to build trust, as in emotional trust. Trust is a time thing. It's a time thing. And when it goes, do we lose trust first, confidence first, or credibility? And if we lose credibility, do I still functionally trust them, but I trust them in a different... And these are the things we haven't unpacked as brands. And we trust different brands in different ways, but call it one thing. Well, brand is a short-term
1: shorthand for the values you just described. So I buy a brand of cereal or a brand of um washing up powder and that's that's built over time a set of trusts or knowledge that i have about that brand it might be limited but it's what i have and it's shorthand for me walking around the shopping aisle going i'll pick that brand 50 white boxes which i'd have to read the instructions on every
0: time would be a nightmare yeah so brand is an element of trust yes and it's that piece that comes through and actually kids Kids are actually moving on from functional trust. And this is the interesting bit. Kids have moved to functional trust. Uh, sorry, they've moved on from functional trust to emotional okay. trust. And they're looking at some of these trust bits in society and going, I don't know what I want. Actually, and actually the brands that sat in front of me don't do what I believe I want from them. Right. So they,
1: I, I like that. They've lost... They, they functionally will deliver what I need,
0: but emotionally will not deliver what I need. Yes, and no. therefore they're very confused about what they now want. And the, the leaderships actually are not standing up going, we're here to serve a particular genre of kids, which are coming up and through, who are the decision makers of the future. And this is why I think change is coming with Greta and a number of other kids coming through the system. I call them kids because we're old now and I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. But they are... They're passionate and emotional about creating change, which I absolutely love. Yeah, and
1: I, I think so. Where does corporate governance fit into all this? You have two minutes. Crack okay. on.
0: It, it does because it sits there going, "If you make a promise, yeah, you've now got to deliver that promise, and you will be held accountable and responsible for it." But um, what mechanism is going to
1: hold them accountable? Because that, that's what I'm building. Not, they're not presenting this in any no serious documents so when they they have to report their quarterly returns and yada yada where's the line that says the promise we made last month we've delivered on yeah the promise we made to hit revenue goals they deliver on the promise we made to open four new stores we we deliver on but where's the the ethical promise that we made yep. which they've increased the value of their company with because they made a statement that has made us trust them more yep but emotionally as you put it um they fail to deliver and we if they do
0: fail and it becomes public knowledge, our trust in that company diminishes, we walk away. But I'm, I'm, Yeah, I'm doing two things. One is I'm building the platform, hopefully, and mm-hmm. we're setting out to build exactly that platform because we need it. Yep. Uh, don't know if it's going to be successful, but f- we'll talk to anybody who wants to also be part of that journey, and it is a journey. Um, and there's a lot of people interested in that particular area. The other one is I've, I've joined the board of, of one of the startup banks, and we've changed... Um, the Articles of Association, from two reporting committees, which is audit and remuneration, to a third, which is data ethics and privacy. So right. we now publicly have to report every quarter on our data ethics and privacy. worries the life out of me? Because actually we nobody's doing this and we're the first of, of all the people to do it. And we, we're kind of like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're willing to make the mistakes. We're willing to... Because if we don't, we'll never move on.
1: Yeah, but what you might do is... is- uh tap into that emotional trust yeah and uh, and increase the value of the company from that point of view where so for example i know for in the fashion industry a lot of people want to know how much water was used to create the white t-shirt yeah right people really good. never understood that 100 gallons of water were being used and yeah. water is a very uh, hard commodity or very scarce commodity i should say yeah. in the third world can we say the third world anymore anyway um in, in countries where water is short. Yeah. So we're getting this cheap T-shirt made cheaply yeah. and wearing it, and now people begin to say, well, actually, I want the ethics and knowledge and that, so yeah. I want it in the label, I want
0: information. Yes. So is that what you're talking about, ethical governance as well? Yes, 100%. Okay. And we're right at the beginning of a journey, and part of it is not because I think our generation is demanding it, uh, but it is the generation coming through yeah. have... Yeah, just a different set of principles, which, do you know what? We've got to get on and deliver. We've marked up so many things for them. We really owe a duty of care to say, you know, let's listen to what they're saying and get on and do something. Well, I think we're at the end of the carbon age. That's where we're coming to the end of. And I think
1: historians will look back and say the carbon age is over yeah anyway tony fish thank you so much it's been a fascinating rambling or as always but wonderful informative
0: conversation so thank Thank you you. thank you thank you thank you and thank you for listening thank you sam that show was amazing to listen again please visit our website (laughs) (laughs) marlofm.co.uk or visit our facebook group sam talks technology and now you can subscribe on itunes never miss a show again (laughs) see you next week same time same place.